Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Last week, Paul talked about our dealing with authority, with the government that is over us and our responsibilities to live lives that are are peaceable and that reflect him in a way that is good. And he's now shifting and going to talk about our dealing with one another. And it's really intriguing how he, he speaks to us. And I hope you find this chapter as fascinating as I did. Starting in verse 1, we read, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. First, we need to recognize that Paul talks to those whose faith is weak, and we need to see what he means by those whose faith is weak. He goes on to give an example, but more importantly, he says on disputable matters. And what he means here is things that can be disputed. We're not talking essential matters here. We're not talking things concerning salvation. He's not talking about moral issues that are clearly described in Scripture as being wrong. He's talking about disputable things, things that are are left for interpretation. And then he talks about food, and he's talking about passing judgment, and one person's faith allows him to eat everything. That's my faith. And another person whose faith is weak and only eats vegetables. And he's not talking primarily like vegetarianism. He's talking about the culture that they're dealing with here. Of course, we've got the situation with the Jews who had the Mosaic law and the Levitical law that told them what they could and couldn't eat, that had food that was, in a sense, kosher, that they weren't allowed to eat, for example, ham or shellfish. And then you've got the Romans or the Gentiles who were allowed to eat those things, and you bring them together, and so there's that dispute. But not only that. In this culture, there were a lot of places of worship that would offer up sacrifices or food to the gods that they believed in, and they were plenty. It might be, you know, to one of their uh, gods of nature or the god of who knows what. They had a multitude of them. And so they would go into their temple and they would slaughter the animal and they would offer this to their pagan god. And then they would take that animal and they'd say, okay, well, now we'll sell it to the market. And what they would do is they would take it to this market in what was called the shambles, and they would sell it there for a discount price. It was kind of the food for less of the Roman Empire. (laughs) And so they would go there and they would get to get the best quality of meat. You could get, you know, T-bone steaks for cheap at the shambles. Of course, it was offered up to who knows what and who knows how and who knows in what way. And so some people's minds would go, oh gosh, I can't 
pay for food that's helping to support this religion. That's just wrong. And I don't know where this meat has been and how it's been offered, and so I'm not going to eat that meat. And the others would say, cool, steak at a cheap price, I'm all for it. This is great. What a deal. I'm used to just eating chicken, and now I get to have beef. I always joke when my daughter was young, we ate chicken a lot, and one time we barbecued some steak, and we were eating steak, and she goes, mmm, can I have some more of this good chicken? And it's like, sure, you know, to her, this is great chicken. What is it? Well, it's steak. You just didn't know any better. Well, they could go to the shambles and they could get the quality meat for a discounted price and so they would enjoy it. But to some, I can't do that. And so that's a little bit of the context at what he's dealing with. But notice when he talks about whose faith is weak, he's, he's not dealing with them in a bad way. In other words, he's not saying these people are, are the judaizers like he talked about to the church in galatia he's, he's not talking about those who are conforming to uh, traditions and trying to enforce those traditions he's talking about people who are actually trying to to live right and do sincerely before the lord and so we don't see him rebuking anybody here and he's he takes the stance that at first seems a little bit puzzling but it, in the end it'll be very freeing he goes on, he says, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another's whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. And he says, the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. And so he tells us that in both these cases, God has accepted him. Right where you're at, and he's been talking about this throughout the book of Romans that we are accepted by faith wherever we come from. And remember, these are disputable matters. They're not essentials. And he says, God has accepted them. And then he gives an illustration. And he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? You can't judge someone else's servant. Think of this, moms. Do you want someone else disciplining your kid? Raising your kid? Telling your kid what to do? You ever see a mom get incensed at someone else getting on her kid? I remember when I was younger, I didn't have children at the time, and I remember there was this one boy, and he was running amok. He was just, you know, he was a kid. He was a boy, and he was, had all this energy, and, you know, I was, wasn't used to dealing with children, and I was trying, hey, you know, better stop this, you better stop this. And I remember I took him, and I had him by the shoulders, and as I had him by the shoulders, I looked up, and his mom was there, and boy, she was firing darts at me. It was like, what are you doing with my son? You better get your hands off my son right now, or I'll kill She didn't say a word, but I, I felt it. I, I got a shiver down my spine, you know, like, okay, I wasn't going to harm your child, really, but, like, don't mess with my kid. That child belongs to me. You don't have the right to intervene and he's saying who are you to judge someone else's servant now whose servant he's talking about God's we are God's servants God is the one who judges us and this goes back to what he said in chapter 2 you're inexcusable you who judge one for you yourself will be judged we don't have that place of judgment on disputable matters we don't have that role. 
And what I love about this is Paul is trusting God to do his job. So many times we feel we have to do God's job. I got to set you straight. I got to help you to be more holy. I got to tell you what to do so that you can know what God wants you to do. And Paul says God's the one who will deal with this person. To his own master, he stands or falls, and I love this, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord is able to make him stand. It reminds me of Jude chapter 1, verse 24. It says, To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He's able to do it. God is able to keep him better than you, better than me. God is able to deal with his servants. And we need to allow him the room to do that. We need to allow God to be in that place. And so in this controversy of what to eat, what not to eat, and this was a big deal at the time. Again, for the area of worship and the area of how this food was prepared, Paul dealt with this thing. He dealt with this in um, Corinthians. First Corinthians, he dealt with it more extensively in chapter 10, verse 25 and 26. He says, eat Anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And he's saying there's nothing wrong with the food. You have the freedom to do that. But here he's saying that some for their conscience sake is having a difficulty and he, he wants to address that issue as well. But we see that the weak person is the person who lacks faith that it's okay and has more stringent requirements, which I think is interesting, that the person who is strong in faith is the one who has more freedom. And the person who is weak in faith is more concerned with the rituals and what's going on. And I thought that was interesting because a lot of times we can think ourselves strong in the faith because we have more requirements. We put more things that make us feel better about the situation, make us feel perhaps holier. Oh, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. And Paul seems to be saying those who have freedom in disputable matters, not in essentials, they're the ones who are doing things by faith. They have a stronger position, which is kind of interesting. It, it challenges me and what I think and what I require of people. Am I requiring more than God requires? Because that's what the Jews did with their regulations and all their rules. And they were missing the boat. Am I doing that? Am I becoming weak in faith because I'm depending on all these rituals and all these things to make the responsibility? Now, weak does not mean unbelief or that they don't love the Lord, as I mentioned. This is not the same, again, as those Galatian Christians where Paul acknowledged them as, you know, being wrong. This, this is just having a, a faith that has a problem with certain areas. And we need to recognize those things, and Paul addresses this even further. Verse 5, he says, One man considers one day more sacred than the other. Probably talking about the Sabbath here. Another man considers every day alike, 
each man should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, he goes from food and drink to the days and the seasons. And he says the same thing. Basically, he's saying one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Talking about the Sabbath, I read something that was interesting. Do you know that the week is the only time frame that is not determined by nature? What I mean is a day is determined by the sun, you know, the earth traveling, uh, it's rotating. A month is determined by the cycle of the moon, uh, the year, obviously, the time that the earth travels around the sun. But a week is determined by Genesis 2, when God said on the seventh day he would rest. It's the only frame of time that is not determined by nature, but is determined by scripture. Interesting. Interesting. And so here they're having this argument, when is the Lord's day? When is that day? And you know what Paul does that blew my mind? I want him to say one is right and one is wrong. I want him to say this is the right way. Those guys, yeah, they're wrong, but don't sweat it. Don't make it a big deal. That's what I expect him to say. Hey, it's not a big deal, so don't make it a big deal. But that's not what he says. What he says here, and, and this is a trip, at least I thought it was. He says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 5, wh why does he say that? Why doesn't he say, you know, one of you is right, one of you is wrong, but let him slide, it's not a big deal. He said, each one should be convinced in his own mind. What a conclusion. You have to be responsible for your relationship with God and you need to be convinced in your own mind about these disputable things. About these things that aren't a part of the essentials. It opens my eyes to a bigger picture that God is trying to work in hearts and they can both be right in their position as long as they are convinced in their own minds and are doing it by faith to God. Now, there are a lot of situations that we find this circumstance and if we had this frame of mind, it would probably be helpful. You see, to bring unity in the church, Paul doesn't say chill out, relax, don't worry about it. Don't sweat about. Don't sweat these things. He says, be convinced in your own mind. Be determined what you believe, why you believe it. And then he tells us we're not to judge the other person in what they believe. You have conviction in what you believe and you have that conviction strongly. And don't get on someone else if they have a different conviction. Ta-da! Wouldn't that be enlightening if we actually did that? How many circumstances and disputable and silly things do we argue over? Do we make issues that God says, just be convinced in your own mind? Well, which one's right, Paul? Which one's wrong? He doesn't go there. He says one is definitely a stronger position and one is weaker, but not in the sense of being wrong. One has faith that God's going to cover it. <clears throat> But he says, just be convinced in your own mind. In other words, you seek God, you have a relationship with God, and let God minister to you because you're his servant. 
by him you'll stand or fall. There are people that get hung up on a lot of things. I remember at one, it was, I don't know if it was a men's retreat or a men's study, but we had a pastor came out and he, he said, you know, at our church and our leadership, we will not go to any R-rated movies, period. That's our standard. I remember thinking, okay, well, I think there's some movies I might have went to that were R-rated, you know, and then The Passion of the Christ came out. And oh man, what do you do there? You know, because the church was going to that movie and it was rated R. And you see, you start putting these kinds of things and, and pretty soon you start worrying about these other things. And it's like, you know what? You need, there's a lot of R-rated movies you shouldn't go to. I'm not saying that yeah, it's not, you know, okay. But you know what? You need to be convinced in your own mind. You need to let God be a part of your decision making. You need to be connected to him and make your decisions accordingly. Same thing happens with, you know, uh, like Facebook. Some people, oh, no, I don't go on those things or MySpace. And some people are, oh, I love Facebook, you know. And you need to be convinced in your own mind what's right, what's wrong. Or MySpace, it was back then. I mean, I remember when I had a MySpace and people were like, oh, my gosh, you can't do that. And it was like, because I had the freedom to do this, I was looked down. This is a peripheral issue. And even on Facebook, a lot of my friends are non-believers who I've known from Wales through trips that I've taken, friends of friends. And so I've got a lot of people who I'm friends with who are not Christians. And it's an opportunity to share and minister to people as well. You have to have conviction in what you're doing. And you have to be convinced in your own mind why you're doing what you're doing and you answer to God. You know what? That's good enough. If God convicts you, then don't do it. What's the movie rated? I don't know. Does God convict you not to go? Yeah, then don't go. Is God convicting you about something? That should be what you decide and how you decide. Each one needs to be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Here again, there, one does this and gives thanks to God. The other does this and gives thanks to God. They're both giving thanks to God, but they're doing something different. And God accepts them both. So get off your high horse. Let God be God and allow people to worship him. And again, they're doing it to the Lord. And that's kind of the point that he's making here. It is they're able to do this, but they're doing it with conviction and doing it with thankfulness to God. They're doing this to the Lord. And so God receives it. They're doing it not out of obligation, it's not like, well, I can't eat meat, so I'm going to eat these vegetables. Well, here you go. They're just saying, God, I'm, I'm doing this unto you. I'm thankful to be worshiping you and how I'm doing this, or, or this day that we're meeting on. I'm thankful that we can meet and worship you on this day, and we're meeting on this day, and we're thankful we can worship you on this day. They're doing it with the right attitude. And Paul's saying, they're both good. Both good. They're doing it with the right heart. They're doing it with thankfulness. 
it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. He gives thanks to God. God receives it. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now, why does this come in there? What was, we're talking about food. We're talking about days. Now we're talking about life and death. It's like Paul starts small and then he jumps in with the big guns. And he says, okay, we're doing the life, you know, death thing now. What, where did, what happened? What's, what's his point here? And his point is in the extremes. You can live a life and enjoy the food, enjoy all the blessings and comforts and joys that come with life and do it unto the Lord. Or you can be martyred and give your life to God and do it unto the Lord in every area, whether you're alive or whether it's in death. You belong to the Lord. In other words, your life is encircled by God. Whether we live or we die, we belong to him. And so everything that falls into this scope of life or death, whether it's food, whether it's drink, whether it's you worship on Saturday, whether it's you worship on Sunday, you do unto the Lord. You belong to God. And so the whole point of this thing is you belong to the Lord. You're his servant. He will help you to stand. He will direct you in which way you should go. And you do that, be convinced in your mind that this is what you're supposed to do and do it wholeheartedly because you belong to God. And that conviction needs to be there. I'm convinced in my heart. I'm, how, how do you get convinced in your heart? Sit there and think, I'm convinced, I'm convinced, I'm convinced. No, you, you study, you pray, you read you you interact you you talk to people why do you believe this way well this is why i believe this and this is why i believe this way and all these things that you do you do to equip educate yourself so that you can have this understanding of what it is you believe be convinced you're responsible for your relationship with god no one else is Genesis is not responsible for your relationship with God. You are. Hopefully we're helpful in it, but you're responsible. If all you do in your relationship with God is come here on Thursday or Sunday, then you are malnourished. If this is the extent of your relationship with God, then you're missing a lot. Hopefully we, we just whet your appetite and encourage you, dig deeper, know more, develop your relationship with God. And hopefully we're just an appetizer in that part of your relationship with God because what takes place with you and God should be a lot more than what takes place on a Thursday or on a Sunday or whenever you come to a Bible study. You should have a relationship with God that is foundational and all we do is add to it. That should be the case. Now, I know from my experience and from a lot of people I know, that's not the case. The only time people will open the scripture is when they come to church on Sunday. The only time they'll actually spend time in prayer is when we pray together. And at least they do that. That's a good thing. But 
to be convinced in your own mind and to know how to live, you should do more. It, it requires more of you. And God wants more of us, all of us. He wants more of our time. We're to pray without ceasing. Our lives to be, is to be in constant conversation with God. Not just, well, once a month we're going to have a prayer meeting or we pray before the service, we pray after the service or before food. You're supposed to be in constant conversation with God. And you should be seeking Him enough to know what it is He has for your life and desires for your life. And God wants these things for us. As far as the days and how we worship, again, what's important, Paul gives us more insight in Galatians chapter 4. If you want, turn there real quick, Galatians chapter 4. Just to get an idea of the faith that we are to live in, Paul told the Galatians who were hung up in the traditions and making them legalistic. In other words, if you don't worship on this day, on Sunday, you're not a Christian. Now, Seventh-day Adventists, there are some groups still that are very um, adamant that you can only worship on Saturday, although there's a lot of them that aren't. And they're very adamant that Sunday is the only day to worship. And Paul addressed that kind of legalism in Galatians 4, verse 8, when he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now you know God, or rather are known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to enslave, be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. Are you going to go back to wor worrying about what day you worship? instead about the God who you worship. And he's saying you're not to do that, and you have freedom now to worship in either Saturday or Sunday or Friday or Tuesday or Thursday night. Colossians chapter 2, why don't you turn there? Just to your right a little bit. Verses 16 and 17, Paul says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So what you need to do is get a conviction about what you're supposed to do. That's just a shadow. Don't let anyone judge you about what you're to eat, what you're to drink, new moon festivals, Sabbath day. Don't be judged by those things. You are free, but you need to have the conviction that I am convinced in my mind, this is what God wants me to do. And if you're convinced that I can do either or, great, you are free. I can eat meat, I can eat vegetables, great, you're free to do just that. You're free to do those things. And notice that you, you need to be convinced that it's not a sin, that they're honoring God in both these things, and the best path that I can think of right now is whichever to worship on this day, to eat this food, to do these things. It's not that whoever doesn't believe me is wrong. You're free to do either of these things. And it's okay with God. Isn't that freeing? Doesn't that just make you wonder, what things do we make issues that shouldn't be? 
I mean, at this time with the, the idolatry and the food, those were big problems. But what about us? What things are we making bigger than they are? Are we making focal points that shouldn't be? Are we judging people that we shouldn't be? I mean, how many denominations and church splits have happened because of silly things? The type of music? How people dress? Spurgeon, and I forget the other preacher, had a, a conflict years back where Spurgeon, his name was Parker, I think it was, he would go to the theater and Spurgeon couldn't believe, how can you go to the theater? And this preacher thought Spurgeon smoked cigars. How can you smoke cigars? And they battled back and forth about these things. And one day Spurgeon finally gave up smoking cigars when the cigar company said, the cigar that Spurgeon smokes. And he said, ah, I need to stop. But it's silly things. If you want to smoke a stogie, okay. You know, if that's your... You you have the freedom to do that. You'll go be with the Lord sooner, you know? <laughs> Drinking wine. As I shared before, when you're up in the Napa area, they all drink wine. That's their livelihood. If you go to Europe or in Italy, they drink wine. Here in Southern California, if you don't man, if I were to go out and have a glass of wine with dinner, man. It could cause problems. I don't like wine, so I drink beer. No, I don't, okay? <laughs> Just joking. I don't. <laughs> yeah, Kareem passed out. <laughs> I have I'm convinced in my mind that I shouldn't drink and, and I'm I'm I have reasons for my conviction. And I'm convinced in those things. But if I go out to dinner and I saw someone having a beer or drinking wine, am I going to throw my conviction on them and start putting them down and condemning them and judging them? If they get drunk, that's a different story. But you see, these are the things that people make issues. And, and it's amazing the issues that we make. And, and we make someone feel condemned because they smoke cigarettes. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? As I'm eating a Jediso burrito and, you know, <laughs> drinking my coffee, and eating a Snickers bar. You shouldn't smoke cigarettes, they're bad for you. My cholesterol is going through the roof. We nitpick and we pick things that we prefer and we need to be careful because Paul is saying, you know what? Be convinced in your own mind. He's not saying one's right. He's not saying one's wrong. You have a relationship with God. Live that relationship. God will judge you. So you better know what he wants. You better live how he wants you to live. Again, we're talking about disputable things, not essentials. Because everyone automatically thinks, well, well, I feel like it's okay to murder. <laughs> you know, I'm convinced in my own mind. We're not talking about those things. I'm convinced in my own mind to commit adultery is okay. No, we're not talking about those things. We're talking about the disputable things, the non-essentials. So don't go off the deep end, you know, 
for some reason we automatically you know think well you better say something about that you have a relationship with God God's going to judge you you better know what God wants of your life that should be enough that should be enough you've got the scriptures you've got the church you should know what God wants for your life verse 9 for this very reason Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. There it is. We are all responsible for ourselves, not for others. God will judge them. And the whole point here is, again, in chapters, well, throughout the book of Romans, but he's talking in foundation, love is our motivation. Why are you judging? Is it because you love? Is it because you care? Or are you trying to be better than? Christ died. Christ rose again. He will judge. We will answer to him. In verse 12, he, or verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. What would happen if we would have this attitude in mind? Instead of passing judgment on this church, on those people, on this brother, on that sister, I'm going to do all I can not to put a stumbling block in their way. In other words, I'm going to do all I can to help them do better instead of putting them down. What would happen if we had that attitude instead of passing judgment on all the little things? Well, you know, they do things this way and they you know, worship this way. I mean, last week we talked about government and we saw that, you know, there's something more important than our political affiliation and it's our relationship with God. But there are actually Christians who support different political parties. And I know some people, <gasps> they faint at the thought of that. You know, what? How can you be a Democrat and be a Christian? That's not possible. And the other side is thinking the exact same thing. How can you be for that party and be a Christian? And they're both serving the same God and God's saying, it's good. And we're saying, no, that's not good. That's not acceptable. Here's what you do. Do everything you can to not be a stumbling block to your brother. They've got to be convinced in their minds. Don't judge them. But do everything you can not to be a stumbling block. You have to be convinced in your own mind what it is you believe and what you're doing in serving the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with talking about these things with people, but your motivation needs to be to make sure that you don't cause them to stumble. Verse 14, it says, As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Now, I wish Paul would just say, it's not unclean, so eat. I wish he would have said that, but he doesn't. 
Why not? You answer that. Why not? It says, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Verse 15, if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Wow. I have freedom. But if my freedom is going to cause my brother to stumble, I'll give up that freedom. It's more important to you that you don't stumble. Now, when I have my brother over for dinner, we're sitting down, what are we having for dinner? Oh, man, I got this great steak that I bought over at the Shambles. Yeah, I think it was offered to Zeus or something, but, you know, they cut the price in half. And this guy, I can't eat it. This guy, don't do it. And so you know this brother has a conviction. Hey, what are we having for dinner? Oh, lentil soup. Yeah, it's good. It's good lentil soup. And then when the brother is there, you eat, you enjoy. He's not upset because he's eating some food or you're eating some food that was offered to this idol or you're doing something that makes him uncomfortable. You're, you're ministering to him. You're encouraging him. And you say, bye, see you later. God bless you. He leaves. All right, honey, fire up the barbecue. We're going we're gonna to barbecue some hamburgers here. You see, now I have the freedom because I'm not doing it in a way that stumbles my brother. But if he's here, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do something that is going to cause them to stumble. Now, we live in, and my kids used to always do this, because I'd say, I'm not going to do that because I'm worried about what people, you know, how it will affect them. And they're like, well, everything will affect everybody, because we live in a society now where so much is known, and there are so many things. I have to do all I can to live a life that pleases the Lord and doesn't cause people to stumble. I got to do the best I can. As much as lies within me, I have to live peaceably with all men, the scripture tells me. So that's what my goal is, to try and do these things. And so he goes on, verse 18, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing God and approved by men. In other words, if you're doing all you can not to cause someone to stumble, to, to live at peace, or excuse me, let's go to verse 14, I, I missed, or 16. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. And so here we see that the kingdom of God, that's what we're supposed to be worrying about. It's not a matter of what you eat, but it's a righteousness, peace, and joy. Now what is he talking about? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Well, I believe he's dealing in context with our relationship with one another. Provoking each other to, to righteousness, peace with one another, and the joy of having that fellowship. I, I believe that that's what he's talking about. It, it's living a life that is righteous, having peace with one another, and joy. It's not about eating and drinking. It's about the relationships that we have with God and with one another. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. In other words, if you're more concerned about people than your own freedoms, you're pleasing. You're pleasing to God and you're approved by men. 
And that's what we desire. That's our bottom line is to have those things. Verse 19, let us therefore, okay, concluding, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Bottom line, every effort. You know what I like about every effort? It leaves room because you're not going to please all the people all the time. There's going to be some people say, well, you're doing this, you're doing this, and you're doing that. You know what? I'm doing what I'm convinced in my mind I should be doing. There are people that are ministering to those who are lost, and they're doing it in ways that some people disagree with. Paul did it in Acts chapter 17 when he went to Athens. He did things that people still talk about and wonder. He quoted pagan philosophers. He didn't open the scriptures at all. But he still ministered the gospel to them. Some people have a hard time with that. Can't please everybody. But he was convinced in his mind what he needed to do. And he reached people. And he reached a few that no one else would have reached if he didn't go to those lengths and minister in that way. There are churches that are ministering to people in ways that say, well, I, we can't do that. You're going down into Skid Row or, or you're doing these things and ministering to these people. Yeah, I'm convinced in my mind that God wants me to do these things. And so he leaves that room, whatever you do, you know, you, you need to have this conviction. Every effort to lead a life peace to mutual edification. I'm trying to build up, not bring down. Verse 20, it says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So again, the whole purpose is I'm trying to build up, not bring down. That's what edify means. Verse 22, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Keep between yourself and God. In other words, don't flaunt it. You know, I have freedom to drink beer. I do. And so I enjoy a good cold brewski every now and then. I have that freedom. Great. Keep it between you and God. You don't go around flaunting your freedom. What is that about? That shows a, a wrong motive. That shows something's going on. You're not doing it to edify your brothers. You're, not, you're doing it for some other purpose. How is that building? Are you doing this with thankfulness to God? Or are you just doing it to flaunt your freedom? There are people who do that. At our church, we don't care. Great, you should care. You should care about your brother. And you should care of how it's perceived because you're doing it to build people up. And if you're not doing it for that reason, then something's wrong. And he says, blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. In other words, that you're, you're doing it before God and your conviction there before the Lord. Verse 23, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. 
If you cannot do this before the God who you serve and do not believe that it is approving to him, then don't do it. If you're convicted, don't do it. If you're not convicted and it's not an essential or a sinful thing described in Scripture, do it before God. Keep it between you and God. Don't flaunt your sin or your convictions, your freedom. Yeah, don't flaunt your sin. Don't sin, period. <laughs> but don't flaunt your freedoms. You're free, but be convinced. And if your freedom causes your brother to stumble, rethink it. It's not worth being free if it causes someone to stumble. If you're going to have freedom, be convinced. And if it's something that causes people to stumble, do it between you and God. You know, I, I mentioned a couple of things that came to mind. You know, the drinking, something that is prevalent. You know, uh, smoking, something that is common. I mean, there, there are people get real hung up. I, I remember this. And I know um, I, I was even on that side where I would be, you know, pretty staunch about, you know, someone, oh, they smoke, well, that's a terrible thing. And you start looking down on someone because they smoke cigarettes? How does that affect their spiritual relationship with God? It's a nasty habit. It's not good for you. But can God still minister to someone who smokes? Yeah. But be careful. Be careful how you judge. They belong to the Lord. He'll judge them. And I love that. Just, just remember that first verse, or that first part of that Verse um, 4, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. God has cleansed my life of a lot of things over the years. Things that I weren't even aware of. Things that I had no conviction over. Right after I became a Christian, when I, I said that prayer and I asked the Lord into my life, I went home and started smoking pot because that's what I did every day. I didn't know it was wrong. Went there to school, to hang out with my buddies. And then God started convicting me. I, I started not liking it. I found out that when I wasn't sober-minded, when I was high, that my relationship with God wasn't as clear as when I wasn't. And so pretty soon it was a downer. To get high brought me down. I was like, what's going on here? And you see, God was able to make me stand. He took that out of my life because it wasn't a good thing for me. I wasn't sober-minded. I wasn't thinking clearly and it wasn't something that God wanted in my life. And he cleansed me of it. And he did that with a lot of things. A lot of things. Why? Because he's God and he's my God. And he's able to make me stand. He's able to present me before the Father, blameless. Trust him. That he'll do that not only with you, but with your children. With your friends. Again, we're talking about Issues that are non-essential. Getting high is a pretty bad thing. It's not sober-minded. It's equivalent to drunkenness. 
really is. But God cleansed it. No one told me. God did. He's faithful. He'll do that even with other issues. Allow him to. Allow him to do those things. Augustine, in closing, said something that I think it was Augustine who said this. He said, in essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Those things that are essential, the foundations, who Jesus is, what he's done, dying for our sins, there needs to be unity. We need to be in agreement. For the non-essentials, those things that are peripheral, those things that aren't a part of the essential, there needs to be liberty. Give freedom. But in all things, there needs to be charity or love. That's to be our motivation and our focus in all these things. Well, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, Lord, through these things, provoke us to have a more intimate and foundational relationship with you. God, the freedom that you give isn't so that we can go further away from you. It's so that we can draw closer to you. Uh, God, that's the whole point. And Paul's point of not judging isn't so that people can grow loose in their relationship, but so that they can grow closer. And our whole point is to edify each other and help each other along in this journey that we have with you. And Father, you are bigger than us and you are able to reach in ways that we can't even imagine. God, you reached wise men by a star and showed them your son was going to be born. You reached Hagar Lord, the servant girl, and, and spoke to her even though she was outcast and would not be a part of the lineage. God, you reach those who, unfortunately, we have kicked out and ostracized, and you are still reaching for them still. God, help us to see how big you really are, and help us not to limit who you are and what you are able to do. And may we be convinced in our own minds, Father, may everything we do be done in faith in our relationship with you. Father, might these things help us to grow closer to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.